You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Our teaching text today comes from Matthew 16, verses 21 through 23. I'm going to read this, and then I will pray, and then we will walk through this passage together during our time together. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem to die and to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. But he turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns but man's. Let's pray together. God, you are good. You give us uh, reasons to praise you, God. Right now, I just pray that those in the room here, those watching online, would feel your presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we need to hear from you today. We want to hear from you today. Speak to us. May the meditation of just my heart and the words that I speak be pleasing in your sight. Give us ears to hear. Give us a desire to do what you ask us to after we look at your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Lewis Carroll's classics, Alice Advent. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, the abbreviated title, you all probably know this, Alice and in Wonderland, and its sequel, Alice Through the Looking Glass, and what Alice found there. There's these two books that are usually published together as a single entity, and most of, of these books are also made into a singular movie. But in Alice Through the Looking Glass, Carol created a mirror image of the world. Where in order to get somewhere in that world, you need to think inside out. For example, if you want to walk towards something, you must walk away from it. So to help us get a feeling for what this world is like, if you wanted to go right in this mirror world, where would you need to go? Left. If you wanted to go up, you would need to go down. If you wanted to go forward, you would need to go backwards. There we go. Get, get, you understand. So it's this mirror word. So it's, it's this opposite type reality. Throughout Matthew's gospel, who we just read, it's his account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Our Lord Jesus has been looking at a reality in a very different way than everyone else around him. This is kind of backwards or upside down or inside out. For example, he has been teaching these strange paradoxes, that to save one's life, they must lose it. And he teaches that the Son of Man who will come in glory must first suffer and die, that the Christ, the King, must be crucified. And these are all very upside down, backwards, inside out ways of looking at things, or so it seems. So let's kind of catch up in the story and the narrative where we find ourselves today in Matthew's account of Jesus' life. Jesus has taken his followers away to this city called Caesarea Philippi. So it's, it's far up north. 
It's kind of out of the region where the any good Jew would have gone. So, so they went to a place of Gentile territory, which means for them to go there, they would have been unclean. It's a major place of worship in the ancient world. And I got this picture behind me to just help us understand that in this place, there were many temples. The worldview options were present. It's in this location where Jesus stands in contrast to all of these different worldviews and places of worship that Peter makes the correct identification. That Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus is King. Now, there was some debate about who Jesus was, and Jesus even threw that question out to his disciples. Who do others say that I am? And, and they go around for a little bit. Well, maybe John the Baptist or Elijah, all these prophets. But all in all, Jesus applauds Peter, and he says, Good job. My Father revealed it to you that you have identified me as the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter makes an identification that Jesus is the one who will bring rescue and renewal to humanity. And Peter gets this right. So Jesus communicates that his rescue and renewal through the church will be so powerful that it will enact change even in the least likely of places. But what's so shocking is as Jesus stands there on this mountain against these, these places of worship and Peter gets it right, Jesus goes... Hold on a second. Don't tell anyone. Hold on. Hold, don't tell anyone. And he encourages them to not tell anyone. So, and so the, the question might be is, why? Why would Jesus, as soon as kind of Peter has got this, this A plus, like gold star, good job, Peter, you got it right. Yeah, but don't tell anyone who I am. It's this, this paradox. You can almost picture the moment. The buzz, the anticipation, this rallying moment. And Jesus says, be quiet. I know it's confusing, it's disorienting. And we see the reason why Jesus doesn't want these followers to begin to spread news that he is king yet. Because Jesus outlines that he must suffer and die. So that's, that's the, as soon as that happens, just picture it. Jesus is like, yes, you did it. Good job, Peter. You got it right. And he's like, so now, because you've identified me as king, here's how I'm going to be king. I'm actually going to go down to Jerusalem and lay down my life, suffer and die, be ridiculed, be shamed, be crucified. And in the middle of that, Peter's like, hey, 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 hold on, Jesus. Come over here with me for a second. That's not the way you, you're supposed to be king. Like, come on, man. Like, like, that's not the way this plays out. Like, like, you are king. You are in charge. You're not supposed to die. And as Peter gets those words out of his mouth, Jesus is like, Peter, what you are saying proves that you don't understand what being king is all about. And he says, Peter, you are like Satan. Jesus calls Peter Satan because the way in which Peter wants Jesus to rule was incompatible with the upside way, down way of God. At the end, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you're focusing on man's concerns rather than God's. 
Peter has let the options of the world influence the implications of his identification that Jesus is God's chosen person to bring rescue and renewal. We have to be asking, what options are influencing Peter? And how are these options contrary to the way of Jesus? Here, this is exactly what's happened. Is, is if we throw that picture back up there with, with all these temples of worship, what Peter is seeing here in this moment is he's seeing all these great rulers of the world from Greece, from Rome, from Babylon. They've built monuments. They've been temples. They're worshiped. Their, their legacies stand in that place. So what Peter is saying, Jesus, if you are king, we're going to have something just like that. We're going to have a place, a location, where you're going to be able to come and basically kick everybody out, erect boundaries, and make the nation pure. Christ crucified? What? No, that, it's not that way. It should be Christ conquering. Jesus, you should come out and win by might. And now that we have a king, Peter's thinking, how do we get the kingdom? It's time to take over. Let's sit down and figure out our strategy. How do we get rid of the present political powers and ruling religious authorities? How shall we crusade against the infidels and retake the holy city? How do we win them to our side? How do we look and behave just like all of these other nations which oppressed us, which ruled, which had strong nations? And Peter's thinking, now it's our turn. And Peter has let the options that he sees influence the identification that Jesus is king. Say that with me again. Say, Jesus, Jesus. Is, is king. king. Say that again. Jesus, Jesus. Is, is king. king. That's going to confront the opposing worldviews of our day as well. Just as Jesus stood in contrast to the worldviews and powers of his day. And to help Peter understand, Jesus doesn't say, Peter, you got it wrong, back of the line. Like, you're out of here, you're, I'm leaving you in Caesarea Philippi because you got it wrong. Good job, you got, me, you got it right, but in the span of a few minutes, because you got it wrong, like, you can't be my follower. No, what, what Jesus says is he says, he calls Peter out, and he says it directly. Peter, you're thinking about God's concerns rather than man's. And he said, get behind me. Jesus wants to return Peter to a place of followership, which is why Jesus doesn't want the other disciples to tell anyone yet, because he knows the options still hold influence on the way they will play offense as Team Jesus. Remember that promise that comes just a few verses before, where Jesus says the, the, the gates of Hades will not it will not stand when our church advances, when the church, the people of God, live in God's world, God's way. When they follow Jesus well, even the gates of Hades will not stop the way of Jesus. That's what it means to play offense as team Jesus. But Peter's got it backwards. He's going left with the rest of everybody else. Because Christ crucified to a human wisdom is nonsense. You see, they are moving forward when they should be moving backwards. 
Peter is thinking right side up like everyone else when he needs to be thinking upside down. Peter is missing what's in the mirror because the idea of a Messiah being put to death as a public menace, as a religious and political traitor, is too shocking. It's too surprising for them to comprehend. Jesus said, I am king and my kingdom will not be stopped. It will go to the unlikeliest of places. The way in which Jesus will confirm his kingship to the disciples is just as important as the recognition as that he is king. The way in which Jesus will confirm his kingship to the disciples is just as important as the recognition that he is king. This helps us understand why Jesus contrasts man's concerns with God's concerns. He is already in charge, but the way in which God wields this power is different from the way man does. And it shows up in how confident Peter is. He's like, Jesus, I, I'm hearing you, I'm following you, but like, it looks this way. That's why he pulls Jesus over to the side, because he wants to make sure Jesus hears him. But Peter cannot tell the difference between God's voice and his own. He thought he was right, and Jesus was wrong. Where it all broke down was that Peter was far too confident in his ability to hear from God. What Peter said didn't line up with the scriptures. It didn't line up with the word of God. Here's what I want you to do. Here, here's your homework this week. Yes, I'm giving you a little bit of homework. I want you to write down these two passages, Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53. And I want you to go and read these passages. Because what we see is the reason why Jesus can rebuke Peter in this way with such strong language it's because Peter didn't know his Bible as well as he thought he did. Because when you go and you read those passages, what you see is that there was to be a suffering servant who was going to come bring this rescue and renewal, who would lay down his life to truly display what it means for God to have a good and right king rule his people. What Peter said was in contradiction to the spiritual authority over him. The way the church plays offense in the world is through suffering and sacrifice. Christ crucified is the crux of Christianity because it communicates love. Suffering and sacrifice for the sake of others communicates love. And we fall into the same trap that Peter does. We may even correctly identify that Jesus is king, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. But we have to step back and we have to go, what are the options that are influencing us? How are these options contrary to the way of Jesus? Because they may not lead us in the same way in the, as Jesus is directing. And he shows himself to be a wise and good king. We have this value at Generations Church called spirit over self. Say that with me, spirit over self. Now, what that says is we want to put God's purposes and priorities ahead of our own as we daily depend on him where we live, work, and play. What you hear in that is we are to depend on God in all circumstances and all situations in life. 
And God dependence comes through when we filter our perceptions, our, our reality through his word. When we make an assessment on a, on a situation, when we are thinking about what choice should we make, we've got to come back to God dependence in his word. And so we know that life is often about choices. We think about the choices that we make each and every day. And the way in which that value is worded is to help you make a choice that you are going to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit rather than put your self-interest ahead of others. And we see in, in this story that Peter doesn't do that. He puts his concerns above what God wants. So here's what I want you to do. If we're thinking about spirit over self, I want you to think about a moment this past week where you put your self-interest above someone else. Think about a moment where you were faced with a choice and you know in that moment that you could think about the goodwill of others where maybe, maybe, it was a, maybe it was a spouse or a coworker or a friend, and you just felt that tension just a little bit of like, should I, should I put them first or, or should I just think about what, what I want? And you just kind of felt that nudge and that direction, and you're walk, thinking that through back and forth. What that's an example of is when you put self over spirit when you choose your self-interest above someone else. Now, who in here, as I, as I bring that out, had one of those moments this week? I won't necessarily ask, you know, I, I'm raising my hand because I'm guilty. We, we, all have those, we all have those moments where we know, where, where we just don't measure up, where, where, we, where we're thinking about ourselves rather than others. But the reason why we want to put spirit over self is because it begins to put God's purposes and priorities ahead of our own. Jesus puts out, Jesus puts us first out of love. See, Jesus with eyes wide open, with a full knowing where he was about to go, to die on that cross. In that moment when Peter gets it wrong and is worried about himself, Jesus is still thinking about Peter. Jesus knows that Peter is going to get it wrong. He knows he's going, to, he's going to continue to mess up. And Jesus says, I will still go and I will suffer and I will put you first. And what's crazy is in our culture today, as we think about that moment where we mess up, where we think about our own self-interest, where we think about our own self-preservation. It's showing up in our world in something that's called cancel culture. And maybe you've heard of that. But what happens is in cancel culture is people take your worst moments and they air them out for everyone to see. And they begin to shame you. And they weaponize your worst moments. And they say, this person is a bad person because of this instant. And what happens is the weaponization of shame comes out in cancel culture, where it says, I will dig up something they have said or did and plastered everywhere and get others to join me so that they will be a social pariah. 
And we feel pressure to jump in on this, to view people by what they have done and not who Jesus says they are. And cancel culture crushes through shame. And maybe you even in this moment felt a little bit nervous of like, I'm not even sure I want to admit I've done anything wrong. Because what if it gets out there? What if someone shares that or says that? And then there's relational distance created. But what happens in moments where we put spirit over self, we will stop weaponizing shame and we will start leveraging grace where we'll begin to look at others, who they are and what they've done. And we will not measure them by the sum total of their mistakes, their failures, where they've fallen short. But we will view people as people. See, the cross, Christ crucified, crushes cancel culture. You are not defined by your shame. You are not defined by your guilt. Even in this moment, as you're thinking about some of the mistakes you've maybe made this past week, maybe, maybe you're, you're thinking, I, I don't share that to weigh that on you to say, you should feel guilty or you should feel shame. I say that because Jesus has died on the cross to remove it. He doesn't see you as less than. When you put your faith in Jesus and begin to follow him. Amen. He doesn't see you as the sum total of your fears, your failures, and your mistakes. He sees you. As loved, and he proves it to you by laying down his life, by being the subject of ridicule and shame. And when options that lead us in a different direction promotes thoughts and actions that create barriers so that we don't have to engage in situations that challenge our comfort and control. We are putting our own concerns ahead of God's. When we avoid suffering, when we avoid difficult conversations, when we avoid being honest about even our mistakes, we are pursuing comfort through the means of power or control or pleasure. See, the way in even which we conceptualize what the good life is about, we think it's about ease. We think it's about no worries, no limits, no boundaries. We remove ourselves from any type of suffering. But when we willingly follow the path of Jesus and we see in Jesus himself that suffering is necessary because suffering for our sake crushes our shame. See, the church plays offense in the world not by picking up the sword but by laying it down. Every time I feel like I have to go to battle with someone as a person, whether it's with words or passive aggressive actions or, or, or distancing myself in relationships, I've got to think that, that, that the sword that I pick up is not one to chop off someone's head. It was actually one to stick firmly in the ground because an upside down sword takes the image of a cross. And just like Jesus, I must choose to play offense, not through might or for, through what I even think is right, but by choosing to actually weaponize grace for people of all walks of life. See, it doesn't matter where you come from or where you've been, what mistakes, past, or failures. Jesus willingly set his sights on going to 
the cross, to eliminate it, to bring you into God's family. Before you were even born, Jesus moved on your behalf and gave up his life so that you may have life, so that you may get that rescue, but also that renewal. And the way in which Jesus weaponizes grace is not by creating distance from us, but by inviting us in to follow him. And we must use strong words just as Jesus did for those who want to minimize this call for grace and suffering. This isn't something that eliminates but puts someone back into the place of follower that brings people back into the family. When we forgive others for the wrongdoing they have done for us and restore them to a place of honor. Right now in our world, the reason I bring up cancel culture is there is no space for grace. But in our daily decisions, as we go around and where we live, work, and play, when we choose spirit over self, we will create space for grace. We will create space for grace. We will work for the purposeful favor of others. And creating space for grace is going to challenge our comfort. It's going to be uncomfortable. But we see that Jesus was willing to get uncomfortable for us. And as we learn what it means to follow him, we know, we've already admitted, we're not going to get it perfect. We're not going to get it right. But even at times when we feel like we should just create distance, where we we should draw boundaries, that Jesus created a space for grace for us. And we can work for that in others. Here's some of the ways in which we're trying to do that at Generations Church. We're we're going on a learning journey with two programs, one called Safe Families and another called CASA. And I bring both of those up because what it takes is it takes a little bit of margin in your life to be able to love and care for kids who are at risk in the foster care system. And when you can create some space in your life to demonstrate grace, you in fact pattern yourself after the way of Jesus. And if you're interested in learning more about safe families and what it looks like to partner with CASA, to advocate for people, to not judge people based on their circumstances or their situations, but to help create a space of grace for them, we would love for you to go to our website and go on that learning journey. This week, uh, on Saturday, we're going to have an American Legion work day where we're going to come and work around the property. And the reason we're going to do that is because the Legion has been so kind and gracious to us. And so we're going to work for their purposeful favor, even when they haven't asked, because we want to continue to create a space for grace for all. Here's another challenge, what it might look like for you to create space in your life, to choose spirit over self. Maybe you need to pick one person and reach out to them, to invite them over for dinner, to get to know them a little bit better. Or maybe if you stop by and pick up coffee on your way to work, text one of your coworkers and say, hey man, can I bring in a cup of coffee for you? I'm swinging by Dutch Bros. I'm swinging by Black Rock. Can I grab you something? 
And what you do is you, you set the table for a space for grace. To begin to get to know people in different and new ways. So that then, as in those conversations, you'll have the opportunity to listen to the Holy Spirit through the guidance of His Word and put maybe even their concerns over your own because you've listened and loved and you've put others first. And as I say that, I know there are some people in this room who are hurting or feel a level of trauma as I share this. They know that as I say, create space for grace, just, just this anxiety flares up. The, 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 the struggle in their heart because you say, I don't know if I have margin. I don't, I don't know if I have any room for people. I don't know if I want to create room because it's, and it might even feel like it's like I'm slapping a sunburn where it just, it, it's painful, where it hurts as I challenge you to think about how you're creating space in your life to communicate purposeful favor for others. To that I say, I am so thankful that when I felt like I, when I was at my wit's end, when I felt like I had no margin, when I felt like I was the last person on earth who could be used by God, Jesus moved on my behalf. That he showed love. That he willingly underwent shame and ridicule, knowing that I would even at times bring shame to his name. And he still moved, he still loved, and he still confirms that each and every day through the presence of his Holy Spirit. Amen. And I want to encourage you right now, if you're struggling with what it means to follow Jesus well, that, that, that you again say yes to Jesus. They say yes to him, and that, that manifests itself in saying yes in baptism. And he will confirm that through his Holy Spirit so that each and every day as you wake up and as you, as you think about what does it look like to choose spirit over self in my daily decisions, that you will be reminded that his Holy Spirit dwells within your heart and he created space for grace for you. And when we live as if Jesus is king, people flourish and more people experience the life the way it was designed to be. We must display dependence on God when we are aware of what influences us. How do we put God's purposes and priorities ahead of our own? When we choose spirit over self in difficult circumstances. When we create space for grace for people in our life are able to speak and be people who move on behalf of them just as Jesus has moved on behalf of us. So let's not be adverse to comfort. Let's not be uh, adverse to, to, like, let's not be adverse to suffering. Let's, let's choose to willingly undergo a level of shame because we know that Jesus was shamed on our behalf. And because of what he has done for us, we are not defined by our shame, but by his name and who he is. So imagine what it would look like 
when a church chooses grace instead of shame. When the rest of the world walks one way and its concern and its concerns, the church chooses God's concerns. Spirit over self. We put God's purposes and priorities ahead of our own as we daily depend on him where we live, work, and play. On your teaching notes each and every week, and even for those of you who are watching online, we try to include this little phrase at the bottom. It says, I will, and it's got a couple dots. I've shared some different challenges. I've, I've, I've asked you to, to think about what it looks like to put spirit over self just as Jesus puts Peter in a place of followership to him to say, this is what it looks like to live in my world and my way. This is what it looks like to wield power. How are you going to respond this week? What will you tangibly do to create space for grace in your life? Here's the good news. That even when we reject Jesus, even when we say no to those promptings of the Holy Spirit, he still welcomes us back. He says, you're not identified by your shame, by your fears and your failures. For I have paid it all on the cross and through my victory in the resurrection. For Jesus is king. So let's go live like it. God, I come right now. And I just pray for those in this room. God, I know it's a challenge. God, I know what you're calling us to to create margin, to create space, to think about others. God, I just I think about what you did for us. And we know that your early disciples didn't get it perfect. They didn't fully understand, but yet you still walked and lived and we're with them. God, I'm so thankful that you haven't forgotten us. You haven't abandoned us, that you are here with us now. God, that you invite people to follow you, to trust and follow you in their everyday life. God, we give this to you. We give this time to you. Help us live as if you are king. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.